Let's take our Bibles for a few moments this evening and turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is an amazing psalm on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, written uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus Christ lived on earth. And uh, it is an amazing psalm telling the story of Jesus Christ's crucifixion. It is one of the most heart-rendering of the psalms and a great statement of God's uh, of God's prophecy of what would happen uh, in the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the very power of God demonstrated on earth. It is the power of to save sinners and make them saints. It is the power to take away hell, put in its place heaven. It's the power to take someone who is hopelessly bound by the power of sin in their life and free them from that power and, uh, and bring them the liberty and freedom in Christ and the ability to live a godly life and to live outside of the powerful uh, dominating effects of sin, the power of the cross. Jesus, uh, the, the Bible says of Jesus' cross in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do shew the Lord's death till he come. And the word that is used there, S-H-E-W, doesn't mean to show, it means to proclaim. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation of faith. When you observe the Lord's Supper, you are making a statement uh, you are proclaiming your confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ to have washed your sins away and to have, to have given you life in the place of death. It is the, the sermon, it's the proclamation, it's the declaration of our faith in God's provision for our salvation. Uh, the early church met regularly and observed the Lord's Supper. Acts 2, the Bible says they gladly received His word, were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And then in Acts 20, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. I won't do that tonight. Uh, we will not continue till midnight tonight. But uh, the church met together to observe the Lord's Supper, and they did so regularly. It was the emotional attachment to the love of God demonstrated in their lives. It's God's uh, Kodak camera snapshot that enables us to never get over the emotion of how much God loves us. It's so easy to forget meaningful things. And throughout the Bible, God set up physical objects that would trigger the memory and cause God's people to remember things that had happened generations earlier. It was God's way of, of keeping important things alive in the emotions and hearts of his people. And uh, the very fact that we have holy days. We, we don't call them holy days anymore. We call them holidays. Holidays originated as holy days. As holy 
convocations of God's people gathering on a holy day to remember something strategic in history and to never get away from God as the source of that which we celebrate and that which we remember and enjoy. God has always been a God of memory tools. The greatest memory tool is a piece of broken bread and a few drops of grape juice. And that is the most powerful memory tool that God ever created because it commemorates the most powerful thing that God ever did when he came and became human and died at the hands of sinful man that we might have a substitute who would bear our sin to the cross. And that's what Psalm 22 is all about. The entire psalm is about, uh, about the, the essence of the crucifixion and what it accomplished. I love teaching and preaching through Psalm 22 as I have done on multiple occasions here over the 26 years of CBC's history. Uh, we've uh, done series of sermons and Bible study lessons from Psalm 22. We're not going to do that obviously tonight. We're going to look at one verse. But before we look at that one verse, I want you to see the flow of the psalm. The psalm opens. It's the only place in the Bible where the, in, the, emotion, the internal mental thoughts of Jesus Christ are recorded as he hung on the cross. The New Testament gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, recorded what man observed and heard him say. But Psalm 22 records what he thought. These are the words of Jesus Christ while he hung on the cross. This is what was going through his mind as he hung there. It's the only place in the Bible where we have the thought life of Jesus Christ during his crucifixion. And it's powerful. It starts with Jesus Christ saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, oh my God, I cry in the daytime. That was 9 a.m. till noon. Now hearest not. And in the night season, that's when darkness fell at noon. And he hung on the cross from noon to three in the afternoon. In the night season, and am not silent. He cried for six solid hours internally, thinking, crying out to God from the innermost resources of his being. Man recorded some, some specific statements that he audibly said. But Jesus Christ's mind was at work all day long. And so he describes what was going through his heart and mind. And that goes all the way down to verse number 19. He describes the crucifixion. He describes what they did to his body. He described the emotional impact it had on him. The fact that God forsook him. And he cried out, why God? But you get down to verse number 19, and he said, Be not thou far from helping me. Uh, be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. He's crying out to God to save him from what was happening in his death. In the middle of verse number 21, the psalm turns, and he says, Thou hast heard me. And he begins to describe the resurrection on the third day. And he talks about how that it was after his resurrection that he declared God's name to his brethren. 
When you study the Gospels in the book of Hebrews, you find out that it was after the resurrection of Christ that he first said to his followers that you are my brothers. And the first time he revealed to them that God is your father. These relationships were revealed after the resurrection of Christ. And the psalm declares, Jesus says, you heard me. God heard him and saved him from death. He was risen from the dead and he declared God's name to his brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And so he began to talk about the impact of the resurrection. Comes down to verse number, let's see, verse number 20, uh, what am I looking for? Verse number 26. Verse number 26 is the verse I want you to take note of before we observe the Lord's Supper. Here's the impact of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Jesus from Psalm 22 declares, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. As we observe the Lord's Supper tonight, I would invite you to think of your experience with Christ. What is your experience with a crucified Christ? What is your experience with a resurrected Christ? When you hold the piece of bread and you realize that you're holding an emblem designed by God to take your mind back 2,000 years to an old rugged cross and to imagine that you were there and you picked up off from the pavement a portion of the body of Jesus that was ripped by the, by the soldier's scourge and you held in your hand or you hold in your hand an actual fragment of the very body of Jesus Christ that was ripped in pieces for you. What is your experience as you hold that piece of bread? As you take that cup, the Bible calls it, in the gospel writers, the fruit of the vine. Jesus Christ took the cup containing the fruit of the vine. He blessed it. He passed it around the table there in the upper room. He instructed his disciples to all take a drink of that cup. And he told them that this is my blood which is given for you. It's a, a new covenant. That replaces the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant of works that leaves you guilty and in despair. This is a new covenant. It's a new covenant based upon my shed blood that doesn't require you to try to earn something from me. But it causes you to realize that I did the work. It's all done. And the benefits of it are yours freely. Because of my shed blood. And as you hold that cup containing a few drops of the fruit of the vine. And you imagine you were there 2,000 years ago. And caught a little bit of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What is your experience as you hold that cup in just a few moments tonight? Well in Psalm 22 there are three statements of experience in this verse. He describes this experience, first of all, with the word satisfied. He says that the meek, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. Now understand the word meek. The old English word meek means someone that has given in. Not because they're giving in to someone of greater authority or power, although that may be the case. 
But it doesn't necessitate that. Meek is to give in. It's to, it's to yield. And if you have yielded to the crucifixion of Christ, if you have laid your life at the foot of the cross and said, I believe you did this for me, would you save me from my sin? Then you are meek. You have yielded. The term is used in the Beatitudes when Jesus Christ described those who yielded to God in salvation that are blessed by God. Here in this reference, the Bible talks about those that are meek are satisfied. And that's the first description of the experience. As I hold that broken piece of bread and I hold that cup of the, of the vine and I think about what it commemorates and what it means having yielded to his death, having yielded to his offer to me, I am satisfied with what he has done. He has done all things well in saving me. I am satisfied with what he did for me. I'm satisfied with the change that he brought in my life over 50 years ago that Sunday night when I bowed my head and asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and rescue me from me to save me from my sins. I am satisfied with what he has done in my life. He has done all things well and I am satisfied in him. We know that the, the book of Revelation declares that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He washed me. He made me clean through his own shed blood. I'm satisfied. When I, my experience of of dealing with a crucified, risen Savior does not leave me wanting more. It does not leave me thinking, well, if he had only done thus and so. Well, I'm thankful for what he did, but if he could have only given me... No, I'm satisfied with what he's done. I don't want anything else. He has done well in providing for my salvation. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. Then there's a second description of the experience in verse number 26 they shall praise the Lord that seek him those who come and seek God for salvation who yield themselves at the foot of the cross and are blessed with the new birth experience we are satisfied with what he's done but we also if you like alliteration we also are left singing and we see that in Revelation as the crowd of all the redeemed of all the ages from all over the world will one day in the future gather around the throne of Jesus Christ and will see him, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, who then in time suffered the actual crucifixion and then victoriously rose from the grave. We will see him and we will gather around him. And the Bible says we're going to sing a new song. We're going to sing, Thou art worthy. And everyone will sing. Those who have good voices will sing. Those who don't have any singing voice at all will sing. And God will miraculously blend all of those voices into the most amazing choir that is, will have ever sung in humanity up to that time. It is the redeemed of the ages singing. Because you know the experience, the experience of Jesus Christ on the cross 
leaves me praising God for what he's done. Singing praise to his name. Honoring and glorifying him. Singing or praising is an action of the mouth that emanates the feelings of the heart. We, we see sometimes people will say things or they'll sing things, but maybe you can tell by the look on their face or they, they don't really mean it. They're just, they're just performing a function, an artistic uh, uh, portrayal of something. But we that are saved sing from our hearts. Congregational singing is singing from the heart. That goes all the way back through the Old Testament where the Jewish people were known around the world as being a singing people. So much so that when they were taken into captivity and taken to Babylon, the Babylonians asked them, they said, the rumor of your singing has come all over the world. Sing to us. And of course their experience at that moment was not real positive. They had just been taken into slavery from their from their home. And they said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And, and the, the heart was gone. When the heart was gone, there was nothing coming out of their lips in praise and joy. But for us, we come into church. Someone gets up and, 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 and announces a song. Uh, the instruments begin to play. And we have the opportunity to let the emotion of our heart flow out of our mouths in song and the experience of those who have met Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection are a singing people we become known as a singing people because of the richness of the emotional experience when we think of what Jesus Christ did for us it's not uh, I think accidental that the Gospel of John records that the last thing that was done after Jesus observed the first Lord's Supper with his apostles in the upper room, that they went, they sang a hymn, and then they went out into the garden to walk to Gethsemane where he would be arrested. The last thing they did after they observed the Lord's Supper the very first time as a body of believers there in the upper room as they sang. Well, Psalm 22 tells us that is a typical response of the heart when we think about what Jesus Christ accomplished for us we sing unto him let me read just a couple of verses from Psalm 95 great psalm about singing Psalm 95 the Bible says oh come let us sing unto the Lord let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. His hands formed the dry land. The psalmist declared we need to come into his presence with a song on our hearts. Because the emotion is real, the experience is real when we think about what he did for us. And it's never more real than in a Lord's Supper observance. When I hold something to stir my memory of the awful scourging of the body of Jesus Christ. And then I hold 
in my hand a little cup. And my memory reenacts the awful, brutal pouring out of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I stop and realize this was not done to him. He said, no man takes my life from me. He said, I lay it down. He voluntarily laid his life down for me personally. And when I hold that bread and hold that cup and I think of what Jesus did for me that elicits an emotional response from my heart that comes out in singing. Those who eat thereof praise him. And praise to the Jewish people was often the singing of the Psalms. And then there's a final description of the, of the emotional reaction, the, the uh, experience that we have when we observe the Lord's Supper and the third statement of verse 26 says, Your heart shall live forever. This is my security. This relationship with God does not leave me wondering if I'm going to make it. This does not leave me with an agenda list of things I have to accomplish to keep it. This does not leave me with a question mark that wonders what if I mess up. What if I don't jump through all the hoops? Why don't I do, why, what if I don't do everything that I'm supposed to do? And then all of a sudden, the emotion drains out of me because I'm not sure. And it's replaced by consternation and fear and doubt and what ifs. But that's not the salvation that Christ procured on the cross of Calvary. He paid the price for my sin to the uttermost. Jesus Christ secured my salvation into eternity. And once I'm born into his family, I can't get unborn. Once his genetic seed is placed in me in the person of the Holy Spirit, I cannot become un-Christian. It's a permanent change of who I am when God saved me. And so that brings security with it. My heart shall Live forever. I love Jude, the last couple of verses of that short book of Jude. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God and our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. And First Peter declares, we who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. My security in Christ is not wrapped up in me. My security in Christ is wrapped up in Him and what He did for me on the cross of Calvary. And so what is my experience when I come to the Lord's table and I take a, a couple of memory tools that God provided into my hands. And holding that piece of bread, my mind races back 2,000 years. What's my experience when I hold the cup and my mind goes back 2,000 years? When the words of the psalmist, a psalm that is presenting to us Jesus Christ's words and thoughts surrounding his crucifixion and resurrection. The experience that God would expect to come from me as I remember the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. 
is that I'm satisfied. And I'm singing. And I'm secure. And it doesn't get any better than that. It's all because of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished 2,000 years ago on Calvary.